We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to another episode of Candid Coaches Conversations. We got another group of top assistants this week, a few media folks, uh, and the discussion this week will be name, image, and likeness, uh, something that has obviously been a hot-button topic for a while now. Uh, we've also brought on a few people with expertise, uh, insight into this discussion about NIL, including guest speaker Jim Cavell of Influencer. All right, Jim, you, you got the floor, my man. You got the floor. You got to tell us a little bit about, give us a Cliff Notes version, because what I want this to be is a little bit more of a conversation, not so much about your company, but I want I wanted you to be able to give a plug for your company. But what, what this means for college basketball, what some of these coaches could, should be doing to get ahead of this. So kind of just start us off, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, so I think I can accomplish a little bit of what influencer is without, you know, really going too far into detail, but more translating into the landscape and what really matters to this group. And so, you know, I, first of all, I, I played college baseball, not basketball. So I'm a former student athlete and uh, I'm actually from Syracuse, New York. So, Kellen, I'm still pretty mad about uh, what y'all did to us in the tournament, but, um, you know, no hard feelings. But that was a that was a butt whooping. That was a butt whooping. Huh. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, I ended up down in Alabama, played college baseball down here, been an entrepreneur since college, built and sold multiple businesses. And I'm watching this this social media uh, rising happen really in the, the mid-2010s, right? We saw all of a sudden athletes and student athletes gain this power in social media and the ability it gives them to be their own channel to be their own brand, right, Jordan? And I love that name slash athlete because we're, we know that they're, they're more than athletes, right? LeBron sh showed us that. And I think athletes in general have shown us that. So social media all of a sudden catapults this situation where athletes have a channel because people don't follow team accounts and brand accounts on social like they follow people. And the people in sports are who? The athletes. And so all of a sudden, overnight, because of technology, as usual, cutting out the middleman. Athletes are their own media channel, but they don't know what to do with it. And so I'm watching this, I'm building a completely different business, but I'm watching this happen by seeing athletes gain tens of thousands of followers, but not really know how to use it. You're seeing athletes get in trouble, right? We've seen all that DMs to posts and in between. We're seeing athletes steal content that's watermarked and post stuff that's just not on brand. We're seeing athletes try to figure it out because nobody's really helping them. And for me, that was the point where I'm like, I'm going to sell my business and I'm going to build something in this space, technologically focused, that can help athletes take more hold of the power technology's given them with their social media. And that's, that's why I sold my, my fitness brand that we had 50 locations. I, I sold Iron Tribe to build Influencer in 2017. And I think my, my parents and, and my wife thought I was crazy, but I, I saw that NIL was not a matter of if, but when. And back then, we weren't in the NIL category of the budget for schools. We were in the brand building category. And a lot of schools didn't even have that budget line item existing. But John Calipari in Kentucky were willing to take a chance and be our first paying client. And since then, from 17 to today, we have more than 1,000 teams that use our software. And all we do is provide tools through the Influencer app for athletes to access content shot of them as it's shot so they can share it more often. 
and have more followers through more social media posts. Give athletes education from fellow student athletes, from pro athletes, from business experts on how to manage their name, image, and likeness business. Give athletes metrics and data to understand what their brand value is. And in the new era, give athletes the ability to connect to marketplaces that exist out there for them to go make money pretty easily. Cameo, player's trunk, you name it. And so that's what Influencer does. And I think for you as coaches, obviously the number one thing actually is NLI, not NIL, right? You have to get the best players and you have to create the best student athlete experience And the arms race when I entered this game in 2017 included categories like facilities and, you know, education and how the, you know, what, what offense and defense you run, how the player fits within the program. Those categories still exist in the arms race, but there's a new category and it's brand. It's how can you help me make the most of this one, two, three, four years, I'm going to play for your program so that I can build something that is making me this person slash athlete to steal from Jordan more than, more than just a a player it's going to echo into the rest of my life. And with NIL, how can you also help me connect it to monetary opportunities? And I think that, you know, I'll wrap up my thought because I do want to have a lot of conversation today and I wanted to try to have some brevity in my intro, but the real question is, is your institution and the leadership there ready to allow you to do that? Because a lot of institutions right now, unfortunately, have an approach where it's, well, we're going to wait and see. We got to wait and see what the legislation says. We got to wait and see what the NCAA does. We got to wait and see. And there's actually a lot you can do today to be ready. There's a lot you can do to capture through data the power of your university's brand for the athletes who've already come through the program. What are their followers when they show up at Duke, Nolan? What are their followers when they leave? Zion might have showed up with 1 million, but he left with 3 million right? So there's a power in the Duke brand. We've got to show recruits that. Recruits got to understand that when you come here, we have a plan. We have an app we're going to give you called Influencer that's going to give you content and education. We have people on our staff like Jordan who are going to help give you what you need tools-wise. We have a guy like Josh Chambers that's going to come in and help you figure out your story and build a personal brand through what you push out, right? Like you have to be able to communicate that to student athletes, just like you have to be able to show them facilities, academics, athletics, and the other parts of the pitch, so to speak, that you've been showing them. And so um, I think that it's a huge opportunity for the schools who are what I would say are early adopters in this um, to embrace that and empower their coaches to do that. And, uh, you know, we work with all kinds of schools. They're not all early adopters. When you have over a thousand teams and hundreds of schools, you see it all. But uh, the schools I'm seeing win right now, are embracing this and embracing what I'm talking about. Hey, Jim, I know a bunch of, of states uh, have legislation that, that they're, they're going to be able to, as of July 1st, uh, make money. Yep. Well, but that's not going to happen, is it? I mean, there's no chance, is there, that, that anything goes into effect this year? With- oh, it's going to happen this year, starting in Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, in New Mexico. And I, I believe that there'll be other States to follow. Is the NCAA uh, going to allow it though? Well, last week, Florida almost uh, changed their, their date. They tried to slip it into another bill. You probably saw that, right? Where it's going to change to start July 1st of 2022. Mark Emmert made a statement and said, regardless of the date, we will not pursue any student athletes who monetize their NIL, which tells me that you could see States that don't have legislation have universities that might allow student athletes to do things. I mean, I, I think it'd go one of two ways. I, I think that it'll definitely start July 1st okay. and, and, and states are going to have different legislation state by state. There's more than 30 state bills. There's more than a half a dozen federal bills. And there's a set of NCAA federal, or excuse me, uh, recommendations that could be, you know, uh, federally protected. That's what the NCAA is pursuing, right? Antitrust exemption. So when you look at all those bills, we have a grid here in our headquarters where you can see every bill, the main topics, how they differ. And when you look at the bills, the reality is that these state bills, while they vary, have a lot of common denominators. And and so it's going to start in July. The real question is, how, how real are these stories that are written by the media about Trevor Lawrence and Zion Williamson examples with Coca-Cola or, you know, 
national brand X versus all the, the, you know, student athletes who are not at that level, but can all of a sudden now turn on YouTube monetization and make money off of pre-rolls playing on their YouTube videos or do a cameo and do a personalized video for a fan or fill in the blank. That's the mass of this, not Trevor Lawrence and the Coca-Cola deal, but yet the writers are constantly focusing on that deal. So sports fans are all thinking about Trevor Lawrence and the Coca-Cola deal. And that's not the, that's not the majority of what's going to happen. And so we've had to build tools through integrations with Cameo, with YouTube, with these, these companies that are all of a sudden overnight going to allow student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. These are, these are places where pro athletes and celebrities make money very easily today. Cameo, we'll keep using as an example because we have a strong partnership with them, is a, is a place pro athletes use today, right? All of a sudden, student athletes can go there. So what we need to do is make reporting easy because every bill requires oversight from compliance. And so at each of your universities, what's keeping everyone up at night is, wait, student athletes are going to self-report a transaction? I can't get a student athlete to fill out a web form about the four tickets they need for their parents at the next game. How the heck is a student athlete going to upload an agreement that they have with a company and fill out all this information? And then I got to oversee it and we're responsible as a compliance department. That's what's keeping everyone up at night. And that's why we're evolving our technology to automate that reporting so that every student athlete doesn't have to worry about reporting transactions. They can just connect the the people paying them to our platform. And so, um, you know, it will start July 1st. I think that I said, said it could go one of two ways. I think, I think that, you know, I have talked to some folks at the congressional level working on bills. They feel like this will push into next year. And that the more chaos, the better, because there's a greater need for a federal bill and, and, and there'll be demand for it. Um, I know other folks who, I mean, you might have saw uh, yesterday, a commissioner went on TV and said, you know, NCAA, this is a power five commissioner, we need a blanket set of rules, right? And so the NCAA could at any time come in with a blanket set of rules. They're, they're at risk though, because of the antitrust exemption they want and all of the antitrust implications that have to do with the Alston case, which has not been decided. And so there's this waiting game that, yeah, actually, I do think July 1st, this starts, but I, I don't think it starts July 1st with this big announcement that a Trevor Lawrence like athlete has all of a sudden done a deal with Ford on July 1st. And everybody's going to hear about it. I think it's going to be a, a compound effect. All right. Qu- questions, questions for anybody, anybody jump in the gym and uh, whatever anybody's got. Yeah, I think, Jim, you're spot on. It's it's not a question of if, but when. Uh, I think that there's always been this, when there's the the idea of the unknown, there's this boogeyman attitude about, oh my God, what's going to happen to our our sport when this drops down? And the reality of it is, I think you're right. Uh, Those who embrace what is ultimately going to be coming is, that's where we all need to be. I know at the University of Michigan, our, our athletic director, Ward Manuel, has been pretty outspoken and, and is in full support of the NIL. Um, you know, we've had, um, you know, full-time experts in um, branding, social media, uh, working with our student athletes. And so we feel pretty comfortable from our perspective that, you know, we're pretty well positioned to you know, help educate our student athletes, you know, as we transition into this new era of social media platform and how to monetize it. I think one of the concerns uh, across the board is just the parity of it, right? When you talk about some states' legislations that are, um, that have already passed and then others that are delayed and, you know, so because does it now become a competitive recruiting advantage from one state or one school to the next. Like those are all the things that because this thing is so new and the fluidity of it is seems like it's ever changing, ever evolving, that we're all going to have to like get on board and, and, and really educate ourselves as a university and ultimately educate our student athletes. Yeah, I think those are great points. And you know, there's really two levels of parity, um, one that, that should exist and one that will never exist. The first level that should exist is uniformity in legislation, because we should all be playing by the same rules. So I agree with that. And it will start probably with different rules state by state. Good news is they don't differ 
that much. So they're not going to create necessarily big advantages by the states who have signed bills, but they will create an advantage for Florida State versus, you know, a school that's in a state like Michigan that doesn't have a bill. Um, so that's the first level that, that should exist. The second level will never exist. The, the parody that some people, I don't think necessarily you are calling for it, but people call about this being fair in general. It won't be. It's not fair already in general. There's the haves and the have nots. I mean, that's just like that M on your shirt. When I see it, I think of the Fab Five. And I think of a lot of other things that make me look at that brand in a certain way, right? It's prestigious. And that's going to be an advantage in NIL too, like it already is in 10 other categories. And that's not going away. So Michigan and Alabama and Duke and all these examples, like they're still, as long as they lean into this, going to have a huge advantage here. Yeah, well, I appreciate you, Jim. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robert. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have to do it, but yeah. You didn't have to do it. I got the black socks on right now. I know where it started. <laughs> Jim, yeah. You know, I was talking with some people about this yesterday because, um, you know, I knew we were going to have this discussion. And, and I think for me, you know, one of my concerns goes back to the fundamental level. You know, I've been coached for 10 years and I was a student athlete before. And, you know, when I went to college, I had to learn what it meant to have a credit card and, um, not to get in debt, you know, they have all those booths that are trying to sell, hey, free credit, free credit. And when you're young and, and you don't have an understanding of what it means to go into debt, you just sign up for it. And before you know it, you got $5,000 worth of debt. And, and I'm just thinking about one of the one of the most important things for these young kids, even the one and done. I mean, Jalen Suggs came here for one year and he's probably, he's hopefully going to be a top five pick. But in that one year, he grew so much, grew so much as a man. And he's going to be able to handle next year a little bit better than he would have when he was 18 coming here, you know, as a slide nose freshman, you know, not knowing how to balance a checkbook, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, my thing is it's, I love the idea, but man, these kids, especially these high level kids, man, they're going to be thrust into possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and there's going to be people that are, know that they're going to be, you know, they're going to have this amount of money. It's like, how are we going to protect them? How are we going to educate them? And, you know, we were just trying to figure out ways. I mean, do they need to have financial services to teach these kids what it means to pay taxes? You know, I mean, they're going to have all this money that they're getting from the NIL and these people want to support them and, and give them, you know, finances for marketing, but they got to pay taxes on that money. So, you know, that's a big thing for me, just, you know, not so much to parity, but just how are these young men going to manage the financial responsibility of, you know, being gifted with that much money for, you know, their abilities and, and their platform. Man, I think, I think that's, that's a, a very, very, very integral point to everything, right? Like the lack of education is really what we all should be concerned about. And, you know, this is one of those things where sports fans, they see NIL and they're like, it's about time, right? Like student athletes need to get paid. And I don't think any of us disagree with the fact that student athletes should, should have opportunities like this. But what I think the, the masses don't understand are all the intricacies of how college sports has existed from the beginning to today. And even if you go beyond NIL, there's people who think that student athletes should share in television revenue, right? Well, now if you're doing that, football is going to have less money to give to the athletic department to fund Title IX sports and baseball and some of the smaller sports, right? Like there's all these intricacies, what you're talking about with, with money student athletes who make 40 or 50 grand, which isn't a ton of money, but it's new money to them may actually hurt their chances for some of the grant and aid that they qualify for, because now they have income that takes that off the table. Nobody's thinking about that. Right. So there's all these dominoes that happen from opening up what was what used to be called Pandora's box. Now it's opened. Um, and so I think the key is you have to have, scalable resources. And what I, what I mean is you have to have a system that you're using to help build brands and value, help educate student athletes and help them report that th those, those are going to be really important, but you're going to have a Suggs. And when you have a Jalen Suggs, you, you're probably going to need some human help too. a system isn't enough. Right. And that's when I go to the to Trevor Lawrence example, they're few and far between. We call those, those athletes performers. They make up, we have 150,000 student athletes that use Influencer. And some of your student athletes are on our platform, Texas A&M, Gonzaga, Duke. Like, but 
the reality is, is that's a small two per, less than 2% of our 150,000 athletes are so good on the court that they're going to bring all these opportunities to them without really having to try. Jalen Suggs is one of them. A parent or representation is going to have to help Jalen Suggs. There's no way Jalen Suggs is going to be able to do this on his own. And there's no way Gonzaga can actually be involved enough based on at least what the legislation looks to be and the limitations around institutional involvement. So that's where there are going to be people, outside people. A lot of times it'll be apparent, I think, but I think also representation will be allowed in this world. Certain types, it's still yet to be determined if it's representation that also does professional athlete representation or not, but there's going to have to be that for this less than 2%. The other 74% of our database is what we call producers. Those are the athletes who get on the court. They're good on social. They're good with tech. They're good with their brand. And they're going to be able to make some money and make some money fast. And they're not going to need an agent. Matter of fact, they don't want an agent or anybody taking some of the piece of the pie. They'd like it all themselves because they can do it all themselves because of tech. And then the rest well, is, 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 you know, just the everyday player who at the most is going to get a $500 gift card from a local restaurant that they weren't allowed to take before. But that's so the I, spectrum here. Damn. I have two questions. One, I think is for the coaches and one maybe is for you, Jim. One for the coaches, like how the hell do you manage expectations? Because every player that comes through as a high school recruit thinks he's going to make $600,000 when you're probably getting a lot of guys are going to make $6,000. And as you're recruiting them, you have to manage their expectations, what they're going to get out of their brand when they come onto your campus, because someone else, you know, is going to sell them something that ain't true. Whereas you're, you might tell them you're going to make 6,000 and some coach down the street is going to say, no, no, you're going to make 600,000. You should come here. So how do you guys handle that as coaches? And on the flip side, you know, when the reality is there aren't that many people that aren't going to make that much money, like how people are making this sound like it's going to be this grandiose change. Is it really going to be that grand of a change? Cause you're, I think Jim, you're right. Most guys are going to get a $50 coupon to go down to Applebee's and think that that's going to be a big deal. So I'm just trying to figure out like how coaches are supposed to manage reality and expectations with, which is, is going to be another place for coaches to honestly, I don't mean to be the cynic in the room, but I will be, to lie. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. That's, that's a great question. And in, in many conversations that we've had, that hasn't, that has, we haven't even thought of that. <laughs> and I think, like you said, you're either going to lie to them or you're going to be honest. And for me, I'm always going to be honest with them, but all these kids are being told lies. Or you're going to go to Duke and you're going to use their brand. And you're going to bring in this much money. No, you're not. You're not Zion or you're not RJ. Those two guys are going to make a certain amount of money. You're not. So I think it's just going to come down to how honest are you going to be with these kids and, and be real with them? Will they make, will they get a gift card from Burger Bock, which is a burger spot down here and get some free meals? Yeah, that's probably what you're probably going to be worth unless you start averaging 20 on the court and you're going to bring in more. If we can sit there and be honest with them and look them in their face and tell them that's what they're going to make, that's, that's going to be on us as coaches to be real with them. But if not, they're going to end up going somewhere else that might be telling them, oh, you can make more here because there's a log jam there branding wise that you're not going to get a big piece of that pie. That's going to be very difficult to deal with. Hey coach, I'll jump in real quick. I do think in a lot of ways it's similar to, to minutes, right? Like a player comes in, the, in as a freshman and, and has a inflated view of how many minutes they're going to play. Uh, and I do think, uh, reality is the best teacher and, and you're going to see uh, and the, the kind of the good thing with with name image and likeness and and, and that is going to be a a struggle for coaches and and, and guys like Jordan and I uh, we're going to have to have those conversations with kids uh, but the good thing with name image likeness is the supply is not necessarily limited as it is in, with minutes there's only so many minutes that can go around whereas with your brand uh, yeah it might just be a $50 Applebee's uh, gift card this week uh, but you can continue to grow that and you can build something that's an, a gift card this week, but maybe, you know, a, a, a deal later on and then, and then build something sustainable for when they're leaving a Duke or leaving a Texas A&M. Um, and I think there, will there be players that transfer just because they transfer because they're not playing? I do think that'll, that'll happen. I think it's, it's, it's a new uh, silo of, of recruiting uh, much like uh, your strength coach um, and your strength program is important. Um, you're trying to build their bodies. Um, just like playing time is important. I think, I think your brand is going to be equally as important. Um, it's going to be something that um, I don't think will be, uh, as you said, grandiose 
right from the start, but I do think down the line, it'll, as, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it'll be a compound effect and it'll, it'll, it'll grow into something that uh, I do think kids will, you know, naturally they'll transfer, but I, I think it'll happen or organically um, they'll figure out, uh, you know, I don't think it'll be as, as much of an issue or, or the boogeyman that we think it will be. I think because it's so new, um, you know, there's a lot of unknown and that scares a lot of coaches. Um, it scared the heck out of me until I continue to kind of do my research and get involved. And, and, and the more I kind of delved into it, the more I fell in love with the idea. And I do think that's going to be uh, the organic process that, that happens with these kids. And you'll see some kids that'll leave or, or it'll impact some kids' decisions, but I don't think it'll be a, an issue. And if it is an issue, I think it's a, it's a good problem to have if, if, if kids are worried about uh, getting what they deserve, getting what they've earned. Um, that's, those are the issues that I think we 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 want to handle as coaches or our people on staff. So, mm-hmm. well, let me ask you this: where, where does it end as far as like the school being able to promote the kid? Does the kid then come to us and say, "Hey, you used me on a graphic. I want fifty bucks." Um, you know, well, we got season tickets or a media guide, or you know, we're in Houston. We've got billboards with our kids promoting our. We're using our kids to promote our program. Uh, I, and I don't mean to be cynical. I, this is a legit question. Right Do we need to be prepared that we're going to have to put together a package um, as a university or as a program uh, to present to our kids and say, you know, we've got three or four billboards across Houston uh, mm-hmm. on, on the major interstates. If we want to use our kids in the Houston uniform, are we going to have to be is it is the end of this is that we're going to have to be prepared to offer them a package or is it just going to be, you know, coach Sampson and his ugly mug uh, because that's all we can afford uh, sort of deal. I, I, I guess that, that is my question. Is that, is that the end of this? the Right. to come to us and ask for, no, it's not. Compensate. Okay. And that's the, the no, so, so let me, let me break. Let me break it down. So, so right now, if you look at the NCAA recommendations, and as I mentioned before, you've got more than 30 state bills, you've got more than a half a dozen federal bills, and you have the NCAA recommendations, which were supposed to be final voted as regulations in January of this year, and they weren't. So there's a lot out there, but cliff notes. Student athletes are not allowed to promote their name, image, and likeness wearing the marks of the university at this point. Student athletes and the university cannot do deals together with the same brand. So if there's a signage sponsor in your arena, they can't also do a deal with your two top basketball players. Um, Student athletes in some bills can do deals with competitive brands that are competing with partners that you have as brand sponsors and some deals they cannot. Um, So there is some variance bill to bill on that. Um, But I I think you're going to see a sensitivity around what you're asking because there's all these limitations on the student athlete. And then yet you're going to put me on the bus and you're going to put me you know, on the, the, the side of the bus promo and you're going to put me on the billboard right. and you're not going to pay me. And I have the marks on, which I'm not allowed to wear when I do right. a deal with a local brand. And I think that's why version 2.0, 3.0, of these, whatever these rules are, are going to evolve. Because I think that the way that this actually uh, Dana becomes bigger than just the, the the deals here and there that probably will be what it starts with is if group is allowed. So group licensing is a huge opportunity for everybody in this, right? If EA Sports comes back with college basketball or college football, it's going to require the ability to pay the student athletes for their license or their likeness in a group setting, right? It's also going to bring money to the institution. There's a lot of other examples of that, just even locally with your university. Imagine at uh, Gonzaga, where you could do a deal with all the basketball players involved with a local sponsor that's also getting inventory and signage in your arena and some local TV and radio. And another inventory is just some social media posts by the student athletes. That's a deal everyone wins in. That's not currently allowed right now in all these different suggested rules or even sign bills. But I think that's where we'll get. And there's some ADs that are fighting for that. Bubba Cunningham at North Carolina wants group licensing. He's vocal about it. There's others that are like that. The argument is, well, you need a union. You need a players association. 
even the players associations and unions at the pro level have come out and said, no, you don't, you don't need a union to do a group licensing. The thing that's really cool about group licensing in college versus the pros in the pros, it's simple. You got 30 pro teams, you know, you got 300 athletes, the group deals based on that. But in college, you could get really creative. You could have a group deal for all the schools in a state for local sponsors in the state to do a deal with. You could have a group deal for university with all 24 sports of athletes involved. You could do a group for your conference with just the, the, the uh, one sport, all the teams in that sport in your conference alone, where a sponsor wants to come in and be, there's so many ways it can be sliced and diced. And I think you're going to see group emerge and make this more of a real tangible thing that the university can put together in a competitive way so that you can have an actually more productive recruiting conversation about what already exists on campus. But that's not how this is going to start. And I do think to go back to Dana's question or uh, how do you talk about this? I think that you got to be really careful about throwing big numbers around of what you're worth and what these athletes were worth um, and how you, how you explain that. And I do think it's very similar to a minutes conversation. There's coaches who are legendary for going into that blue chips house and the other five coaches that recruited that blue chip, they sold them every which way, come to my school, come to my school. And then that one coach comes in and says, Hey, you may get on the court here. You may not, you're going to have to earn it. And the blue chip, the one you want with the right heart and mindset likes that, right? I think that's the same pitch here with how much money you're going to make. You, you could make some money, but you're going to have to play well on the court. You're going to have to have good character and we're going to give you a system, but you're going to have to follow it and do some work. And I think that sale is much more realistic and we'll, we'll, we'll win in the long term. One, so, one issue I, I, I see with, um, a lot of players early on is hurting their marketability by taking on smaller deals in the beginning and essentially their Instagram page just becoming a uh, all ads. And, you know, this is something where players have reached out to me and they're like, you know, I'm ready to start making money. And it's like, you know, I could, I could work with this used car dealership and this dentist and this person. It's like that, that may actually hurt you in the long run. This is where I think the, the representation, the third party vetting system, you know, understanding who's going to be, providing these athletes with the education and who at their college is going to help them too, because I think, you know, they're, they're going to be eager, but you know, that 200 bucks to do that shout out. Yeah, sure. You can do five of those, but that may prevent a bigger deal coming later down the road because you're hurting your engagement because people want to stop following you because your page is all ads. So from my perspective, I really see it as, you know, how do you educate them on marketability to, you know, not just be in a rush to just bring in some money and how you can do it in a way that is going to be sustainable for you to where you don't hurt your brand in the long, long, long runs. So you may maybe redshirt your freshman year and you don't get a ton of exposure, but you hurt your Instagram and TikTok page because people want to stop following you because you were just so eager to do $50 sponsorships. I think, I think at the end of the day, you know, I think this is great. Uh, super excited about it for, you know, our student athletes, but you know, I have four little kids at home, four kids. It's crazy. It's chaotic. And they always want to eat dessert before the main meal. They always want to eat dessert. And what I mean by that is we can't allow this to become bigger than what these young men are coming to college to do. They're coming to compete. They're coming to get an education. They're coming to develop. And, and I think, you know, as, as it pertains to your question, Dana, like, you know, people that are lying, I mean, they're lying because they don't have a product that these kids are going to be able to take advantage of. And that's getting better, like improving their game. That's winning at a high level. Because if you improve and you produce in the court and you win at a high level, then the branding will come. And I think we just got to be careful not to allow the branding be, to be so big that the performance on the court, that the development, that the winning, that the things that are necessary for these guys to go and be professional adults, hopefully NBA players or professional citizens, hopefully we can allow the dessert to come before the main meal. And, and I think that's important. So I think that just has to be a good balance of how we manage that. Like, yes, this is an awesome resource. This is amazing that you can make money now. You deserve it. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we can't negate the development that has to take place. And you have to produce on the court. Like, you can want to market and make money. But if you're not winning, if you're not producing, if you, the money's not coming. So I just think that balance is very important, especially in recruiting. You know, when we recruit athletes, like, don't give them the dessert before the main meal. How much are you guys worried about the locker room? Because you may have one kid coming in, right, who's highly touted, who's making big money, 
but he's not performing. And another dude who came in kind of unheralded, you know, not a top hundred kid who's your best player. Like that's real, isn't it? Down the road of some of these kids. And, and, you know, again, I get social media is a little bit different because it's probably going to be what you earn uh, through social media and your account potentially and how many followers you have. But are you guys worried about that at all? Hey, Jeff, um, it's a great question. And I think the social media part kind of hits a, hits a nerve with me where I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, we're all kind of thinking through what this is going to look like and how we see this panning out. Um, the locker room is, is one aspect of that. My, my question, and I want to kind of pose it as a question, but I've got some thoughts with it. Maybe, Jim, you can help out. What percentage of this is, is going to be social media? Um, the way I see this, I initially when I was thinking, I thought about car dealerships and uh, Nike commercials, uh, Zion Williamson, what could he, what could he have drawn in uh, if he were in this era? And, um, you know, things a bit more business related. The more I've thought about this and as it's developed, I kind of see this as being like 80 to 90% social media driven. So I'm curious on, on your end on that, because, um, you know, whether there are guys are being paid to influence products on social media, advertise via social media, clearly like that's, if I'm a, if I'm a company and I've got a high profile athlete that I can identify college kids can identify with, like that's easy money right there. So it's it's easy money. And there's, there's three reasons you're right. I mean, number one, it's it's the the first and easiest one to predict that they don't have a lot of time this isn't a pro athlete with like all this extra time on their hands and an off season to be doing all these creative shoots and be able to fulfill all these deals number two most of the deals aren't big enough that an agent's going to want to be involved and an agent's going to be needed and so once again um you know you're now asking a student athlete to be responsible for fulfilling a commitment uh, which kind of goes into number three, the easiest way to fulfill something right now is technology and, and social media, because it doesn't take much to actually do what's being asked of you by the brand. And, it, and with the followings that athletes have and how easy they gain those followings, there's a real opportunity. I think what Jordan said is, is really important. That's why our first product is, was a content delivery product, because you want athletes to post more than ads all the time. You wanted to show people everything about them as a person. So they can weave these promotions in. Um, so, you know, athletes not just posting ads all the time is going to be important. But yeah, Ryan, I think 90% plus is going to happen online. And, uh, you know, the offline things will even sometimes be initiated online. Yeah, I, well, I, I, have, a, I have a quick question. Uh, and Ryan, I'm going to give it right back to you. Uh, I have a question for, for Jordan. Uh, I want to give the coaches on this call an advantage and I want to give the people that are listening an advantage. And I, and I know how young minds are different. I like my man, Jim, he got Muhammad, all, Muhammad Ali on the wall. So I trust him, but I want to hear what the young Thundercat has to say. So Jordan, if you're a high major assistant, your assistant, if you're coach Sampson, Kellen Sampson, uh, and you're an assistant coach, uh, what out of the box, uh, idea from a recruiting standpoint, would you do specifically to take advantage of this? What would be in your young mind? Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's similar to what I just did at Duquesne, and it's it's have a personalized personal brand coach on staff, and you can use great tools like influencer to to back that up. But w- these kids are going to all hear the same pitches when they go to all these different universities, and what, what they're going to say is, "All right, what are you doing differently to help my brand?" And you need to be able to say, "All right, we have this guy." Who, who understands branding. We have your own creative consultant and like someone like Josh, exactly like that role to be able to say, here's what he has done with other brands, he or she, here's what they can do with your brand. And then also here's our fan base using a tool like influencer to say, you know, here's how engaged our social accounts are. Another big one that hasn't really been talked about that the, the university that does this the right way will really set the precedent. If you're familiar with these TikTok houses out, out in LA. So basically all these influencers get together and they have TikTok houses. Because why? Well, rather than creating content together, they create content in groups. So now you have six people who all have a million followers, and now you're all being seen on their pages as well. So when Florida State has five of their players all in the same apartment, 
now all creating content together, they can now get individual partnerships. They can get partnerships for that page they could create together. They can get the audiences from their other players. And then from there, how do you take it a step further? How does Florida State start working with and having a podcast with players from Houston? Because now they want Houston fans to follow them. So I think it's when you develop this structure and strategy to say, hey, we're coming in. It's You should have a curriculum, but it's not just the curriculum. Here's the strategy, the creative consulting, the steps to actually help you to use what you have in our fan base and your talent so you can have something sustainable once you leave. And that, that honestly was my biggest pitch to Duquesne. It's like, you know, Duquesne's athletes are not going to get major sponsorships, but we're going to help them right now start their own basketball training business, help them start um, consulting careers, start reaching out so they can be creative directors of brands. Because I see it really as like a societal shift to disrupt institutions. The NCAA is being disrupted. Think of how, how major of an impact that is. So when you look at that, it's giving power to youth. So being able to say these athletes, like we understand that you are the future and we're willing to, to help you to get there and then step out of the way once you graduate and say you have something sustainable that will last even beyond your playing career. So I think a couple of those factors all tied together will be the main differentiators. Hey, good thoughts there, Jordan. Um, I, I feel maybe you guys would disagree with this, but I feel like the most important things that we can do as basketball programs would be to turn our minds to creative teams and hiring creative teams. And, you know, Jordan, obviously you're a, you're a version of that. Um, but I, I, I think some of our discussions here are talking about hiring on new videographers, hiring on new um, graphic designers, people that can create more content for us. And if we can create content that, that turns our brand and passes it onto our player's brand. And our player's brand creates followers, and followers ultimately, like in this case, I think will create money. We'll create money for them. So I, I, I don't know if that's where, it's, where, where it'll head, but I think that's kind of where our mindset is going, is um, just how can we help best help our players and our guys that are under our umbrella? And I think that's utilizing like resources and adding resources that we maybe we don't have now, um, but that can help us to build, uh, help our players, you know, build content for the, for their social media following. Well, and I think Josh will have a, have a great thought here, but, but what we're going to do at Duquesne and I'm going to work with other, other universities to implement as well was we're going to get the players, their own creative teams. So we're going to have a graphic design student and a film student work with each individual athlete because it builds their portfolio as well. So it's great to have the creative team of, of the actual university, the sports teams, but can you find someone who is studying film that will follow you with their camera three days a week and right. help pr produce your YouTube series? So there's in university resources, students that you can utilize and these players can all have their own creative teams. Is there yeah. a point of saturation? Like being the old lady in the room, like, I'm just curious, like, is there a point of saturation where, if every single athlete is trying to create every single brand and I know they're all in, in, you know, unique to their own programs and university. I'm just curious, like, is there a point where it just becomes too much? Dana, Dana I, I want to answer that one first. Dana, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a point of saturation, uh, but I know there's a point of narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's a problem right now. And uh, yeah. I think the, the, the most, uh, the most problematic thing is going to be for the coaches on this call is you're going to have to consistently sit your players down and say, Hey, listen, you're not Martin Luther King. <laughs> you're not Nelson hey, Mandela, and you did not make the cure for cancer. Uh, you're going to really have to become a uh, ex expert in teaching humility. Uh, yeah. But I do like some of the, the great ideas that Jordan is coming up with and, and, Hey, evolution is here. Everybody on this call, I'm just telling you, people don't drive cars with an eight-track tape and you roll the windows down. <laughs> you know, my uncle used to sing, you got to go outside in the rain. They don't sing that no more. It's over. We got to evolve. What? Yeah, Coach, I think it's Jordan hit it right on the, on the mark. It's the societal shift, right? Like, you can walk around an airport today and see 10 to 15 people filming themselves as as they're as they're walking to their gate, you know, vlogging, and that and that you if you saw that ten years ago, you would you would have thought something was wrong with them. 
Um, so you're seeing that that slow, gradual change. And, and Coach Peden, you mentioned uh, 80 to 90 percent will be social media or, or online. And I, I think it, it could be even higher than that. Um, I think uh, 20 years ago, um, the, the, the car dealership, uh, those in-person meetings, that was the world that we lived in. I think 20 years from now, it'll all be, it'll all be through your smartphone, kind of how, uh, how you mentioned, Coach. Um, you do everything on your phone. Well, it's only going to keep trending that way. And um, car dealerships will be car apps. Like, you can already buy a car over an app. So I, I just think uh, that's how what we're doing at Texas A&M is we're, we're trying to teach uh, our players how to have a digital product. And, 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 and Jordan mentioned uh, it's the long play, right? It's the long-term game. You, you can go get the Applebee's gift card, but that might hurt your long, your long-term efficiency as a brand. Um, so we're trying to really educate them um, using, using influencer, um, reaching out to, to experts in, in the, in the field um, and teach them kind of the, the, the nuances that are, that are, that are going into this new digital era that we're kind of sh as a society shifting to. Um, Cause I do think coach Peden, you hit it spot on. It's going to be, uh, your follower count is going to is going to be a part of your resume. And you're seeing you're seeing that almost, you know, already with, you know, guys are getting jobs all over social media. Uh, players are posting their highlights on Instagram and TikTok. Um, the, the, these apps are becoming your resume. Um, the, the social media is becoming a marketplace. Uh, and I, th I think that's what makes uh, the name image likeness stuff so exciting is, is it's happening right as uh, you kind of mentioned this this social media a wave is hitting, hitting its exponential growth and, and it's all kind of lining up for, I don't think saturation is an issue um, because I just think uh, it's so long overdue. Um, and I just think that as we continue to kind of, it becomes more and more normal, um, almost like Twitter and Instagram and there's a new social media app every three or four years. Um, those don't go away, you know, like it'll just, continue to build off of it and, and, and the product and, and sort of say that the players' brands will only get better because of that. Well, and, you know, with that too, Dana, um, I think there is an element for saturation in terms of like brand deals. Like if I'm sponsoring yeah. a player at Duke, I know he has Duke's audience. So I, I'm not going to sponsor some of the other players. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sponsor the, the six man. If I know I'm yeah. going to have the guy who has the, the most followers of, of the Duke. Right, that right there. How do you, how do you keep agents out of the equation then? Agents out from or like you know people that aren't necessarily sports driven, right? We had a kid who just made the Bachelor, right? Uh, he was a former player of ours. He's on the Bachelor, and one of the first things he did is his Instagram and social media page totally changed. Uh, former player, he was a high school coach, and everything about him changed. His social media presence changed, and it was at the encouragement of a uh, somebody who's more right. of a social media expert how do you you know if if somebody who's their business is this is mon is monetizing a young person's popularity which is what this is um how can you tell our kid not to to get an agent you know you got one person a, a team brand manager uh that's trying to speak on behalf of 13 guys. And then you, a lot of these brand managers are, are employed by multiple universities. Look, they're going to want somebody that just works for them. How do you, and is that allowed by the NCAA under its current infrastructure? Um, and how do you keep the legality within college sports with this deal? Cause like you guys said, you get, it's a lot of this popularity is old. Their sports prowess is the honey to the bee. But we're talking TikTok, everyday life, creating content that maybe isn't basketball related. Uh, well, that's going to draw in a totally different sphere of people that are also trying to capitalize on money. Is that legal within the NCAA structure? Well, there is no NCAA structure at this point. That's the unfortunate answer to your question. Well, we do, but, but there is a structure as far as, as far as the recommendations that the NCAA has published. Like I know our kid can't sign with an agent, right? That, that, that is representation is a part of most of the bills and it's it's left open in the NCAA recommendations for an agent representation to be able to assist the student athlete in whatever marketing opportunities they may be able to, to, to generate. 
Um, so it, it's probably once again for the for the blue chip recruit, they're going to need more than technology and some staff help from the institution. They're probably well, like going to need kid representation. That was on the Vaxa, for instance, was a walk on. Right. Yeah. And so he's I mean, good looking, articulate, the market's well the market, spoken. Kelly. Yeah. The market's the market. Right. right. So and I guess the, how do we keep it legal? Is more my. I, I understand the market. How do you, how do you as a program keep it legal? How do we keep where our guys aren't signing with agents to enhance their their individual agents to enhance their social media brand within a season? And I, I guess just trying to make sure that we're not we're not walking ourselves into a. A, a I think the point, more the more in a major city. But can I add this point? I, I think that we can if this, then that, you know, till eternity with this whole thing because it's so new. And getting back to Dana's original question and the point that Roger made, at the core of it all, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's student athletes are here. We're all at institutions of higher learning. Right. These are all power five schools on here. Our brands are global brands at a very high, high level. And, um, you know, they're here to get education. They're here to compete on, on, on the playing field. Right. And be the best version of themselves. So it's our responsibility as the institution, as we like to say here, put guys in position to be in position. Right. So the educational part of this whole thing for me, is really, really critical. So whether it's we make it a part of our curriculum, whether we hire individuals like Jim, Jordan, or Josh to be a part of our programs, it's, it's, in, it's, it's educating our young people to take advantage in the right way of this new platform. I have a daughter. CY has a daughter. Uh, my daughter is going to be a freshman uh, for gymnastics at the University of Pitt, right? And if somebody comes to her and wants to uh, have her endorse a brand of leotards. I'm just talking out loud now, right? Sure. That's great, you know, from a parent perspective, right? But from my coaching perspective, I'm like, look, Sydney, you're there to go to school, get the best grades you can because you need a degree when you finish there and you need to be the best student athlete. So you need to train and work on your craft. And so I don't want you conflicted about, do I work on my craft today or do I spend this exorbitant amount of time trying to put together the perfect social media TikTok video, right? Because at the end of the day, like the main thing has to stay the main thing. But I understand the beauty of what we're walking into with this NIL is this is a new platform for, for young people to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And it's okay. But it all has to be in perspective. And if we can educate them the right way, I think as institutions, we put them at a, at a, at a higher level to be successful. Sadi, that's, that's a great point. Um, Absolutely. Edu educating them and educating us. What I want to say about it really quick is uh, I, I feel like the kids that go through this process and come in in this area, era, they're going to be better in terms of life after basketball or football in terms of, of going into other uh, avenues professionally, whether it's social media or sales or marketing. I mean, it, it's, they got to learn after going through this process. And one of my pet peeves as a college coach is the guys that come out of your program, and if they don't make it in the NBA and they don't make it in Europe, they struggle. Uh, yeah. That really bothers me. I lose a lot of sleep at night worrying about some of the guys I coached at Auburn or Georgia Tech or Jacksonville or Chattanooga uh, that hadn't quite been able uh, to make that jump into the real world. So even though there are a lot of negatives and ups and downs about NIL, uh, <laughs> I do think the good part of it, Dana, is going to be that it's going to be some kids that really get exposed to some business opportunities, even if they are not the hot guy in college. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Mm -hmm. one, one quick thing with that. And, you know, I, I tell athletes all the time, leverage them while they love you. Because I get so many athletes after they graduate who reach out to me like, Jordan, I want to build my brand. I'm like, great, I'll help you. But I wish we would have did this while everyone was paying attention. 
And so that is, you know, the real element to it is access. You know, I've, I have a nonprofit, it's a social media marketing agency run by inner city Pittsburgh's high school students. And the goal is, is you take the under-resourced and you give them this and you teach them how to use it as a resource. They now can be connected with high net worth individuals. We're helping the Duquesne players build out LinkedIn pages and look up the richest people who went to Duquesne to start connecting with them on, on that level. So, you know, when you look at it from a, an under-resourced aspect, you are now adding a resource for them. So that's why we can't just group the NIL discussion just into endorsements. Group it into now, this is a shift in mindset to where these kids can now have access to people and through a brand that maybe they weren't thinking of it in that way before. And that's where and, I think the bigger picture is. And I think, I mean, the only reason that, that I'm sitting here right now is because that's that's what we entered the space doing in 2017. Transactions and endorsements weren't an opportunity. Um, we started with one client, three staff members. And, you know, the last four years we've grown past 100 institutions and were acquired last year by Teamworks and have more than 100 people working on this every day because it is more than just endorsements. This is preparing your student athletes for life after sports. And it just so happens that social media and technology now have given them an opportunity and a platform. I mean, how many of you have events where you bring alums in from your institution? in the same room as your student athletes, these alums own companies that might be able to give a student athlete an internship, right? Like most schools do that, right? Try to expose your student athletes to opportunities. And I always talk to student athletes and I ask them, when you're in that room, do you go up to the alum and look them in the eye, shake their hand, or are you off in the side kind of too cool because you're still playing, right? And then I know guys like Tiki Barber, let's say, who used to play and wish back when he was at UVA and he was in that room with all those influential alums at UVA, that he would have made the most of all those opportunities and shook their hand and looked them in the eye, but he didn't. And he regrets it. And he learned as time went on, by the time we went to Giants, to use the ball while it's inflated so that when it deflates, there's a way to, to keep those relationships going. And so to what Jordan's talking about, I, we all know athletes who didn't use the platform while they were relevant or while they love you, as Jordan said. And this is a way to do that it just so happens that it's digital. And to, to Dana's point earlier, I don't think it becomes saturated because it's hard. Just like it's hard to get a 550 pound deadlift and you got to work out all the time and get there. Just like it's hard to get on the court and do the things you got to do to earn playing time. It's going to be hard to be good with networking, with social media, with these tools. But all you can do is give them the tools and then let the extraordinary student athletes, the ones that aren't ordinary, but they're extraordinary, right? They're going to take and embrace what you're giving them and use it to set the stage for the rest of your life. They become your staple stories. And those stories are how you show student athletes coming in to use these tools when they get there. And that's what this is all about. Just like the weight room, not everybody's going to use it the same way, but the ones who do get the results and, and thrive and, and, and excel. Jim, I, Jim, I, I, know you run. I know everybody's got to kind of run here. So we'll, we'll wrap. Jim, can I ask you one final question before I let you go and before I wrap it? So Jalen Suggs had about 500,000 followers on Instagram. What do you think, if you had to guess, and I know it's a guess, what Jalen Suggs could have potentially brought in this year, social media-wise? Give me a number. I think that, you know, I, I don't like giving the number. Yeah. And the reason I don't like giving the number, and I actually have a third-party partner who excels at this, does it for the Fortune 500 companies spending money and does it for pro athletes is because I think that there's a lot of questions that go with that. How active is Jalen on social? How well is he at showing people all the different things that make him who he is beyond a basketball player? Jalen Stuggs doesn't have a lot of posts on his Instagram. You know, he could have a lot more. He could expose who he is as a person a lot more than he does. Probably because he doesn't have to, right? Because he's so good on the court. But that plays into it. How big of a market is he playing in? Well, what, what, you know, WCC versus if he played in the Pac-12. Um, revenue sport versus non-revenue sport. All these things factor into whether it's 80 cents a follower or $1.20 a follower. I think that he would have made more than $1 a dollar a follower. I'll just say that. You can do the math. Um, but the reality is it's not as easy as, you know, Amani Bates, yeah. great, great basketball player, has zero posts usually if you go to his Instagram. 
500,000 followers, but it's cool for an 18 year old kid now to delete his posts. And it's even cooler if you can have zero posts and have a million followers. That's just a cool thing with blue chip basketball players. But the reality is when brands start looking at Amani Bates and they start looking at other student athletes that have the same amount of followers, if there's a student athlete that's a great storyteller and shows all of who they are, they're gonna choose that other student athlete. So somebody's gonna have to teach Amani how to tell the whole story at some point. So are, are we talking, Jim, where, where a kid could potentially make a half a million dollars a year or coming in as a, as a highly touted freshman who is in a good market, who's likable, who go, posts. Go follow on. Mikey. Go follow Mikey. That's all his name is. Just Mikey. Mikey. Yeah. Go follow him on Instagram. He's already doing it. Yesterday in his Instagram stories, he generated revenue. Really? Are already doing it. Yeah, he's, he's already at it. Then obviously he doesn't care. So go like, follow like him. real money, like real money. Just go follow and look what he's doing on his social media. I try not to follow 16 year old kids three million, on, three million on social media. I don't need to. These dudes all have to. I don't need to. I don't want to. Uh, let, me, let, let me ask you this, Jim. Is it more financially advantage is between a video compared to a picture? Is it that or just any content? Like, like if, if a guy takes a still shot of himself with a brand new pair of sneakers compared to him doing a TikTok, has it, is there more value in the TikTok compared to the picture? Or, or It's more about the audience, Kellen. So every platform has different audiences that you can connect with. And um, you'll notice the platforms all end up copying each other. They have really? one thing that's their hook, right? Like, Snapchat had what is now Instagram stories, which is also Facebook stories, right? It's just, right. it's all about capturing that initial audience. And so, um, you know, Instagram is a photo heavy platform. They've created a lot of ways to put video at the forefront. And we see at least in our platform across our 150,000 student athletes that 90% of the content taken from influencer posted are pictures, but a video can be great. It just has to do with the context of what it's about, the timing of it, the caption, you know, the meaning of it, you know, it, it, it just, the picture versus a video is less important than the audience and how that media you're posting and that message in that media actually connects with the audience to generate engagement. If you have a hundred thousand followers and you do a post and you only have 1% engagement, then whether it's a picture or a video, it's not resonating with your audience. But what we see in athletes is athletes, at, at Gonzaga, when they post, they have 23, 24% engagement from their audience. When Gonzaga's men's basketball account posts, it gets three or 4%. And that's just because, and that's actually really good. Uh, three or 4% for a men's basketball account. So for every 100,000 followers, three or 4,000 like it, comment on it, reshare it. That's actually pretty good for a team account, for a brand account. But athletes get five, six times that. That's the power of the athlete. And so it really is less about the picture or video, more about how it connects with the audience and the platform they're on. Obviously, TikTok's going to be video, whereas Instagram, it could be a picture. And Kellen, with that, and it kind of goes with what Dana's point is, I tell these guys all the time, don't just be a letterman's jacket. You know, you just posting you on the field or you working out, everyone's doing that. How can you differentiate yourself? So, Because if I'm a brand and I'm trying to sell this water bottle, I'm not confident that your audience is going to trust you with a picture of you or a video of you with this water bottle if everything else you do is just you on the field because they don't know you as a person. They don't relate to you as a person. And this is where authenticity, vulnerability, showing the, the weird side of you, that is where you're going to see the differentiation. And that's what I preach to these athletes all the time. Don't, don't just be a player. Use that as the entry point and then connect with people on a deeper level. And that's what someone like Juju does a great job of. You know, when Josh Allen was going in on that point, when Josh Allen was coming into his senior year at Kentucky, um, we, I think we're going into our second year as a company, Kentucky added football and some other sports to, to our, our contract with the university. And uh, they asked me to come speak to the team. I spoke to, this was that team with Josh Allen playing defense, you know, on the defense and Benny Snell playing running back. If you remember Benny Snell, he's now on the Steelers. And Josh Allen and Benny cornered me when I was walking out of the room after I spoke. They said, hey, can you come just talk for a little bit with us? Sat down in the room with Josh and Benny and they both knew they were going to be NFL draft picks. And Josh said, Jim, I have 6,000 followers on Instagram. People are telling me that I'm going to be a first round pick. I don't feel like I'm ready for, for what's about to happen. What do I need to do? 
Then I said, well, you heard everything in that talk about what you can do with the UK brand and all the content that they're shooting of you that you're going to get through influencer. But tell me a little more about yourself. He's like, well, I just had a son named Wesley. I said, well, so you're an all American linebacker and now you're a new parent. That's a huge story to tell. Uh, tell me something else. Well, I actually love the fans. Like after practice, I always stay after and I take pictures with fans. I said, do they tag you? Yeah. Do you comment back? No, I never even go into the comments, you know? And so we just started to talk about these ways where Josh should show himself as a human who interacts with the fans and comments back when they share posts and their audiences can now find Josh. Josh can show people him being a father while he's also an all American projected first round draft pick in the sec. And Josh literally went from six to 70 plus thousand followers by the time the draft happened six months after that conversation. And Josh was one of the few guys in that draft that Bose and Old Spice and all those sponsors that pick about 10 guys in the first round choose. And so I think that you, you have to, once again, going back to what you can do, Kellen asking the question about what about, you know, um, agents and, you know, somebody else said we could if this to death. Um, it's true. But what you also can do is you can have a plan now and you can make that plan something that can have progressions. Yeah. Don't have the plan go too far. You're over promising deals, but have a plan where you're producing content. You're getting it to the athletes. You're educating the athletes, with metrics and other educational resources. It's scalable. It's not all human based, but there's some technology because it resonates with them and build on it as time goes on. Because even though other people are doing that, you can do it uniquely to Duke, to Michigan, to Gonzaga, to Houston, to your university, Ohio State. That, that's what you got to do now. And if you do that now, it can evolve. You can build on that. And you have a prestigious university that can get you started in a really powerful way. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Jim, Josh, Jordan, uh, everybody else, um, Dana, appreciate everybody coming on. Uh, enlightening conversation, I think, uh, will continue uh, as we learn more information, as hopefully uh, NIL gets uh, implemented here soon. Uh, but again, thanks for joining us. Uh, Coaches Candid Conversations every single week. And uh, hopefully we'll have you guys on again. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.